good to be back tonight. Hey, Brother Daniel, good to see you. I didn't, I didn't get quite the clap tonight as I did this morning when I came up. Yeah. Thank y'all. Thank y'all. Thank y'all very much. <laughs> I did not mean to come up before she got through playing the music this morning. I'm sorry. I, I really did think that clapping was for me. <laughs> Do y'all mind if I take my jacket off uh, tonight? I certainly appreciate it. Uh, Brother Chad sent me a text, and I don't, I don't know why people send a text. How did it go? <laughs> you know, we we think it went all right. <laughs> well, Daddy, we think we done good. Think we presented it well, but you know, I, I want to send back sometime. You might better ask your congregation how it went. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, he had, I told you, he told me, he said, don't, if you start any fires, you have to come back and put them out. So, so y'all can pick at him a little bit about that if you want to. Uh, but I certainly enjoyed being here with you this morning. Thank you. Uh, I thank Chad for the opportunity, but I thank you also because you have some say-so in that also, and I do appreciate it. I was looking at a song just a minute ago. Now, I'm not a songsmith by any means. This, this title caught my eye to a song that I was turning when I was in between songs looking. And page 35, it said, If men go to hell, who cares? Man, that's unlike songs that you hear today. Uh, everything's upbeat and happy and, you know. Uh, while the world rushes on, in its folly and sin, and millions go down in despair to reign where demons shrieking within. If men go to hell, who cares? Who cares? Oh Lord, who cares? While the world rushes on in sin to despair, if men go to hell, who cares? Holy, pretty strong. Written about 1937, I think, is what it said there. If men go to hell, who cares? Well, I can tell you this. If the church doesn't care, nobody else cares. The world doesn't care because they don't think there is a hell. They don't think there's anything to, to fear. They don't, if they don't fear God, they certainly won't fear hell. Uh, that's a sad state, uh, even at our country's in, And it's even a sad state, I go as far as to say, in some places that our pulpits are in of the way they preach and the things that go on today. And it's even different, Brother Daniel, from when I started preaching uh, uh, 20 years ago. Uh, I preached in the prison and saw things, but then I went into the what we call the church and preached, and I saw a whole different different thing. And as the years have went on, even that has changed. Uh, so if men go to hell, who cares? That's something for us to think about, isn't it? Romans chapter 10. Now, I used to tell a guy that I used to hang around with preaching and it seemed like my messages always were negative. I said, I know I'm known for being the prophet of doom to come in. I always got... But I think somebody has to come along sooner or later and challenge our walk and challenge us to, 
to, with the Word of God. And uh, it's full of challenges, but I, I certainly don't think do it because I think I'm better than anybody else. But if the Word hits me that way, and it should, it should start with us, with the preacher first. It, it should go through us. But we're going back to Romans chapter 10. And certainly now I didn't bring everything out of that passage this morning. There's so much more could be said and different angles that you can take that. Uh, different, uh, you know, breaking every verse down. I, I didn't try to do that. We just focused on verse 13. But tonight I, we're going to look at verses 14 and 15 uh, mainly and talk about them just a minute. It's just really a recap. goes back over some stuff said this morning. And uh, uh, see the need for the church to do, to take uh, our responsibility, our charge seriously to spreading the gospel. Because truly, if men go to hell, who cares? As I said this morning, we're, we're, we're not building a country club. It's a church. It's a church. And even in the church, the purity of the church is not first. And that, that's hard to swallow for us uh, because of some of uh, things that we do in our lifestyle and we've been shaped and molded. So, and, uh, But even the purity in the church is, is gone. Church discipline is a thing of, it's a thing of the past. Uh, but it, but it, there's still a responsibility that's going to lie on the pastor, the man of God, the leaders, to be held accountable for that, and it helps every one of us. It helps every person in the body of Christ if we do things biblically. And, and, and I'm not talking about things that we don't understand, that we have to get some clarity on, something that we're doing uh, that we, we, we just don't understand or maybe at times don't want to understand but have to be brought back in line with. So let's, let's look at passage uh, in Romans chapter 10. We'll start in verse 14 and 15, and we'll open in a word of prayer. Father God, how grateful we are. Uh, there's no question, dear God, in, in, in my mind, dear God, uh, well, unworthy servant, dear Lord. Uh, even unworthy to be called a servant, dear God. But I thank you, dear Lord, that you, dear God, chose me. I didn't choose you. You chose me, dear God. And choosing me, dear God, I chose you. And I thank you for that. Father, your grace is it's wonderful. Your mercy, it's, it abounds, dear God. Where grace abounds, uh, or sin abounds, uh, grace abounds much more. I thank you for that. Not that we should go on sinning so that grace should abound, Paul said. He said, God forbid. But, Lord, we do thank you that you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Thank you, dear God, for this body of believers at Cottondale. Lord, we could even go on and on and say what a long-standing testimony this church has had, dear God, in, in Dodge County and in this community, dear God. Not loud, not boisterous, not always got an activity trying to do this or that, but being steady, moving along, dear God. Your word says that, though. Uh, live a quiet and peaceable life, dear God, and mind our own business, dear God, and proclaim the truths, reach the lost, dear God, encourage the believers, dear God, and strengthen the weak. 
weep with those who weep and laugh with those who laugh. Father, I pray we would get back to that, dear God, as a body of Christ, dear God. I believe you're doing that. I believe you're refining the church. I think you're doing it through the, through the world, dear God, and there's a chastisement going on. I pray we would take heed to that, yield to you, dear God, in obedience and reverence. For you are Lord of lords and King of kings even now, dear God. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, this will be very simple. Uh, I was looking at a few different writers, and this is uh, really it does start in verse 13 again, for he says, Whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I also think not only is he talking about salvation, but I think he's talking about besides Israel, I think he's also talking about a believer to be calling upon the Lord in prayer. That we can call upon the Lord. Uh, you know what he said in Nehemiah, we like to quote it and we, we like to use it a good bit. And uh, Nehemiah, where he, he says, if my people are called by my name, or in Second Chronicles, if my people, my people, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves. If my people, he says, so he's saying there that we, his people, have the privilege and opportunity of calling upon his name. That isn't to everybody. This is to believers. Now there's a calling upon him for salvation. We know that. But just a general term of walking around everyday life of calling upon the Lord. That's for the church. That's, that's a privilege we have that we can commune <laughs> can you think about it just a bit? A thrice holy God that we can commune with the creator of heaven and earth, creator, uh, the creator of us, that, that we can commune with him. I mean, that's, do you ever stop and just think about that? I mean, there's a lot of people that you know that, that, that you don't want to talk with, don't even want to talk with you. But here, a thrice holy God, he is, invites us in to talk with him. I mean, that just is... I don't know what the word of the day is for the young people, but I know for a while it was awesome. (laughs) I mean, that's awesome to think about. But in doing that, there's a problem presented in verse 14. And we, we, we run into a chain of questions. One writer called it a golden chain. And... Usually we see a progression in scriptures going down through things, but in this passage we see a regression. It starts from the end and works backwards. Usually we start at the front and work our way to the end. We would we would connect links to make a chain, even a bicycle chain. We would start with a link, we'd connect all the way around it. But here it's like he's taking links apart and laying them out individually. He's going backwards all the way to the beginning. To get us back. In the beginning, is something else that gets back to the beginning to be in sin. And it, the focus goes back again to Christ and to the Great Commission, at least that. So it says, and if you, I'm a highlighter. I, I don't know about you. Some of you may not highlight in your Bible. Don't get offended uh, if I do. Uh, but I'm a highlighter. And when I was pastoring and teaching where I teach now, I tell the class, there's three things you need. And possibly four. But I say you need a Bible. Because we live in a time where people do not have Bibles. Can you believe that? That come to church that people do not even have a Bible. 
you need a Bible? I said, you need a pen? You need a highlighter and a pad? I said, if God speaks to you through the Word, you need to write something down. If you've got a piece of pad, you scribe it out to the side, or you highlight that, and you go back. Because the enemy is out to steal. Remember what he said about the seeds in the soil? He's out to steal that nugget, that seed that has been, been planted or dropped down. And he'll pluck that up. So you get you mark that and you go back and you look at that later. So in, in these passages here, just look at the they and in, in, in through these passages here. I think six or seven, and if you jump down all the way to 17, it's seven or eight. But just in these passages, listen to what it says. Remember, he says, whosoever, this morning I said, Jew or Gentile. So let's go back to that. Jew or Gentile, whosoever or everyone or, or, or let me see how King James, I got new King James, and I said, whoever is what I got tonight. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. But then he poses a question like there's a problem. He poses a question. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How then shall they, the very ones we tell them, whosoever called upon him, how shall they call upon him? So he says, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed, in whom they have no faith in? How are they going to call upon him? And you know, the, Brother Daniel, I'm sure this question has been posed to you and, and to you out here too, not just pastor, it's been posed to you. Here's the question I usually get about that. What about those people over there, and it's always Africa, there's never any other place in the world where the gospel hadn't written. What about those people over there in Africa that have never heard the gospel? And it's always Africa. What about those people? Well, man is already destined for destruction which should be a good motivator for us to get the word out to them okay so he says how then should they call on him in whom they have not believed they will not they will not they, they won't have faith in one they, they won't have it that's the answer they won't how then should they call on him how will they pray to him? How will they believe in him? Or how should they call on him if, if they've not believed? They won't. They won't call. They won't call to be saved. Whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. They won't call upon him. And I, I don't know if you know the story. You know the story of Jim Elliott and the five missionaries that went down in Ecuador back in the 50s. I go to Ecuador at least twice a year. Uh, well, one at least one time, sometimes twice a year. I I read the book uh, uh, of Jim Elliot and the martyrs and being killed. Uh, Joe Daniel, I think, might have introduced it to me or showed me the video. It's been years ago. And I said, I want to go right down there to Ecuador, down to the Amazon. And I go once or twice every year, but I hadn't made it to the Amazon yet. But that's what stirred my heart for mission work, not only here but overseas, wanting to go somewhere else, or, not, or being willing to want to go somewhere else. And five missionaries went down into the jungles to a tribe that had never, not only never heard the gospel, but had never talked with white people. 
You remember Luke Carter when he went to Myanmar and uh, he went out and they hadn't ever seen a white person. He went out and even the ox, when they seen him, they ran because they'd never seen a white person. Uh, I said, yeah, they would, they would like everybody. They were scared a white man was there to take something from him. <laughs> he, didn't, he didn't know. Just trying to make a joke. But they had never encountered a white person. Now, this is, this is people that are, that are cannibals, that are uh, whatever they worship is, is killing another tribe all the way out or themselves is within their bounds. So they, they have some realm of a god but not God to call upon, the one that saves. They had one encounter with them, a vague encounter with them. Two or three come out on the jungle and sat with them, and they communicated the best they could by pictures in the plane. I couldn't find out this couple, this two or three, have a little spat between the man and girl. See, it even happens in the remote part of the world, uh, trouble between men and women. <laughs> they had trouble. They went back and they blamed it on the missionaries. This the guy did. They're supposed to have a second encounter with the missionaries. And when they come back the second time, the missionaries are all excited. They got a camera, they find the film later. They're all excited that Jim Elliott had written in his diary and some of the other ones, they kept record of everything. And they were so excited about the next trip. The next trip comes in, the uh, uh the Alcas, I think is what they call them came in and killed all five missionaries. All five of them. Second encounter. Speared them, killed all five. You would have thought that that would have detoured the gospel. Word got back to Wheaton College where Jim Elliott had attended and was a graduate, and the whole college knew him and the other guys. More people signed up to be missionaries than ever before through that one deal. Instead of drawing, putting fear in people and shutting them back, the doors flew open and, and many more signed up and said, God's calling me to go to so-and-so. God's calling me to go to so-and-so. Because how can they call upon him in whom they have not believed? The very wives of Jim Elliott and the other missionaries went back into the jungle you hear me? They went back into the jungle and won that very tribe to Christ. The very men that killed their husbands won them to Christ. Because they were just doing what they do. As wrong as it was. Won that whole tribe. Nate Saint was one and his son... Uh, and grandson, and they still have a ministry down there. Uh, uh, the son has had a stroke and or something, and he can't move, but it's a great, if you want to read about it, read about it. But that's what was laid upon the heart. How should they call on him in whom they have not believed? They. How can they call upon him? How can, how can that lost world call upon him in whom they have not believed? They have not believed. Then he says, how shall they believe in him in whom they not heard? You see the necessity, the regression and the necessity. To call upon him, you got to believe in him. To believe in him, you got to hear about him. You can't believe in him if you don't hear about him. 
I can be honest with you, growing up in Chester, I don't ever remember hearing the gospel. I, I heard this. I can tell you I can tell you what I did here. There's no hope for you. That boy's rotten. Different terms with different people. You ought to quit that and start this. That's not the gospel. That's get right first. And that's not the message. How can an individual believe if they have never heard? You ought to quit that drinking. You ought to quit that so-and-so. You ought to quit that. And you ought to straighten up. And here's the average Christian, their message. And come go to church with me. The message is more important if we say, you ought to come to Christ. Because a true conversion of coming to Christ, you'll come to church. You'll come to church. I didn't care anything about church. I rode, I lived across from the Baptist church. I lived within 100 feet of it. I assure you, they didn't bother me, and I didn't bother them. They didn't come over and greet me, and I didn't go over and greet them. I'd leave them a few beer bottles every now and then. But as far as communication, we had none. The Methodist church was about 200 yards from me. The church of God was on the main street. We'd ride by it, and we'd ride by it, and we'd ride by it, and we'd ride by it. I couldn't call upon him because I didn't believe in him. I didn't believe in him because I had not heard about him. Oh, I had seen some things, and I'd done just like every other lost person. If that's what that is, I don't want that. <laughs> Now, your view changes after you get saved, naturally. I see now that we are faulty people. And I see now it's only by the grace of God that we're saved. It's not because we get to be anything perfect by any means. But that's the view that was projected out to me from the church. Not the message, the view. I didn't get the message until I told you. Uh, I might not have told you this morning until I went to work at Bluebird where... I was forced to work around two pastors, <laughs> a white one and a black one. The black one, would I could run them hot by telling them what I did, and he'd say, I'm praying for you, and I could make the white one mad. He'd finally have to tell me, get out of here. Go on, I don't want to hear you no more. And he was right. He didn't need to hear me anymore. I was wrong. But at least they tried. And then it, through prayer and God's mercy, he reached out. So how shall this group up here call upon those, Jew or Gentile, how can they call upon the Lord and accept that promise that we talked about this morning, the surety of salvation, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? You would think in Dodge County that everybody heard the gospel, wouldn't you? Just not long ago, a man in his 60s went out to Bethlehem Church and they shared the gospel with him. I had talked with him years before about it. I said, did you know anything about Jesus? Here's what he said. Seemed like I heard something about that. Ain't he that man they said that they killed on a cross? 
That was the extent. And he used to live right down the road here. Now, he didn't come here and mess with y'all neither. <laughs> he didn't volunteer to come here. He didn't go to the Congregation of the Holy Church. He didn't go to the church right down the road there, or the one down here on the bottom. But he knew nothing about the gospel. But he lived in a city or a town where there's approximately, altogether, and, and if you get on the outskirts, 40 Southern Baptist churches. I don't know how many Pentecostal and how many Methodists. But for a person to live in this city and not be confronted with the gospel is a sad indictment on us, isn't it? Now, not putting all the blame on us because you know how it is. When they see you coming, they go. <laughs> I mean, they, they'll do that too. Sometimes we're repulsive. Sometimes we're to blame by the way we approach. How shall that group, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe in him in whom they have not heard? They won't. They won't believe. What happens to that group all the way over there in Africa? That, that's the only place that they are is in South Africa somewhere, wherever that place is. They won't. If they've never heard. See, everything just keeps coming back to a necessity. How should I call on him and they not believe? They can't. They've got to hear about him. How should they believe in him and whom they not heard? They can't believe in him if they hadn't heard about him. The necessity to hear it. How shall they hear without a preacher? The necessity of a preacher, of a proclaimer, of someone to make the proclamation of the gospel. And that ain't just limited to. Brother Daniel and myself and Chad. That isn't what this verse means. Because we, we, we know it doesn't. Because if we trace back to Matthew 28, he says, go into the world. And I know what people have confronted me with on that. They said, and he's talking to the disciples. I said, you're right. I said, well, let's go to Matthew, uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I said, he said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my disciple. He said, or you'll be my witnesses. He said, you're in witness in that sense means one that gives testimony to. He said, you're talking about the disciples now. You're not getting to us. I said, you're right. I said, let's just, don't, let's just cut right through it then and go over to Acts chapter 8. You remember the Saul persecutes the church, starts a persecution, Sends Philip out afterwards. There's a great persecution taking place, and now I can't even find a verse. Oh, yeah, verse 4. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now, Saul was, chapter 8, Acts, verse 1. Now, Saul was consenting to his death, Stephen. At the time, a great persecution arose against the church, which was at Jerusalem, the mother church. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, except those disciples. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. And as for Saul, as for Saul he made havoc of the church, entering every house and dragging off men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, 
Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. Not the apostles. Everyone that was scattered. And then it jumps on to Philip. And talks about Philip. So it falls right back in all of our laps, doesn't it? It falls back into every person in the body of Christ. We're not going to all do it the same way. And in America, we got it better than probably any other country in the world. If you want to hear it on, uh, I don't know all the gadgets. And I'm, sure, I'm still back in this stage. Uh, some of you could still reach to the wall and say, I'm in this stage, pull the phone off the wall. But I know there's MP3 players. I know there's, uh, he's got a phone. I know you can do anything on the phone today. What I'm saying is we have more access to the gospel in the United States than any other country in the world. You can get it 24 hours a day. You can get the best teachers. In, you can get R.C. Sproul 24 hours a day. He's dead and gone now, but you can get him 24 hours a day. You can get Dr. Steve Lawson any time of the day you want. You can, uh, you can get, uh, uh, what was his name up at Bell, Bellevue and uh, Adrian Rogers. You can get him 24 hours a day. We can get preaching of any kind, any te- if you want to get deep, as they call it, with teaching, if you just want to stay with an old shallow boy like me and not learn a whole lot, or if you want to get real deep, you can go as deep as you want. You can get it any way you want in the United States. So if you're not a talker, give somebody CDs. Buy them the gospel or tell them how to work it on the phone and get them to it. Send them a link. Or whatever. But it falls back in our lap. Because for anyone to call upon the name of the Lord, they're going to have to believe in him. And this is exactly what the verse says. It eliminates everybody else except for believers. Now, when I said this morning, whosoever, or in this passage here, and this morning I think I used everyone who, that's the group that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not everyone that doesn't call upon him. Those that do call upon him. And so they they have to believe. They can't believe if they don't hear, and they can't hear without a preacher. See the necessity? It just keeps building and building. Then he says this, not only that, he says, how shall they preach unless they're sent? And I like what he says here. As it is written, again, he refers to Scripture. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Can you imagine those old, back then, those old dirty, dusty, nasty feet coming in? You know, when we, we was over in Turkey at, and, and some of these other nations, they, you don't wear your shoes in the house. And uh, my brother used to be that way. Uh, he, after he built his house, he put a carpet in. You took those shoes off at the door. You didn't come in. Because your feet were nastier than his carpet. Well, that's the way they are in the Islamic nations. You do not walk in a house with shoes on because how the audacity that you have to think that your feet is cleaner than their house because you've been walking out on the street. People throw everything down, and, and that's their thought on that can you imagine this set of nasty feet coming along here all dusty and dirty and you know we like to be all cleaned up in the united states you know 
that favorite verse in the Bible, don't you? Cleanliness is next to godliness. You know where that verse is. Some of you, I don't know where it's at. You might not help me with that. But you know, we've used that. We ought to clean up and get right because cleanliness is next to godliness. We got the order reversed. But listen to what it says. How shall they preach unless they're sent? That's a question posed to us. So we know that without me going into that. That's for the saved. I just went over that. As it is written, for those that are sent, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Flip with me to, to get us a picture of that in our clothes in Isaiah 52. The book of Isaiah, Old Testament, chapter 52. And let me assure you, what we have, the salvation that we have, the deliverance that we have, let me use that word, from the bondage of sin. The deliverance we have is much greater than the deliverance that Israel was looking for in this passage. This deliverance was getting close to them. But what we have through Christ and the shed blood of Christ is a greater deliverance than what Israel had. And that passage comes out of here right there. Listen to what he says in chapter 52. Awake, awake. Put on your strength, O Zion. Put on your beautiful garments, O Jerusalem, the holy city. For the uncircumcised and the unclean shall no longer come to you. Shake yourself from the dust, arise. Sit down, O Jerusalem. Loose yourself from the bonds of your neck, O captive daughter of Zion. They're in captive. They're in captivity. For thus says the Lord. You have sold yourselves for nothing, and you shall be redeemed without money. For thus says the Lord, My people went down at first into Egypt to dwell there. Then the Assyrians oppressed them without cause. Now, therefore, what have I here, says the Lord, that my people are taken away for nothing? Those who rule over them make them well, says the Lord. And my name is blasphemed continually every day. Therefore, my people shall know my name, Therefore they shall know in that day that I am he who speaks. Behold, it is I. How beautiful. Upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion who says to Zion, your God reigns. Boy, that was good news to Jerusalem. That, I meant to Israel. That was, whew. Man, they had went into bondage and captivity for their sins. And God had told them the appointed time. And, and I meant let them know everything. And he says, the time is getting near. Oh, the time. He, he gave the message to the, to the messenger. And... The messenger is on his way to tell them that the deliverance is on the way and that your God reigns because God is the only one that can deliver you from this bondage that you're in. Your God reigns. He said, this is good news, and it's worth telling. Go tell it on the mountains. And he said, how beautiful are the feet of those that bring glad tidings of good things. And proclaim salvation. Our salvation is much greater 
than being delivered from the bondage of people. Jesus said, don't fear the one that can destroy the body. Fear the one that can destroy body and soul. Our deliverance is greater than anything the world has to offer. You ever feel like you're oppressed? God's salvation is greater, a greater deliverance from the bondage of sin than that. You ever feel like you're trapped? God's deliverance from the bondage of sin is greater than that. You ever feel like the money doesn't stretch far enough? I'm not a prosperity preacher. I am one by Jesus. God's deliverance from the bondage of sin is greater than that. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And he says that the dirty feet that bring this, the gospel, he calls it, those who preach, the, it's a gospel of peace. And Romans chapter 5 makes that pretty clear. He says, now, now, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. If we have peace with him now, there's no other, thing, uh, no other uh, uh, conclusion we can come to. But at one point, we were the enemies of God. Well, he says that on down in there about verse 8. While we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. Church, that's good news. That's almost worth telling this week, isn't it? That our God reigns. He isn't sitting in the White House, I can tell you that. He wasn't sitting in there four years ago, two years ago. He wasn't sitting there eight years ago. Our deliverance is not, a deliverer is not sitting in the White House. i tell you where he is seated, though. The Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God. And all power and authority has already been given to him. He is already, listen to him, he is already king of kings and lord of lords. He's not going to be, he already is. Our God reigns. That's good news. So the message this morning was the promise of salvation, but how are they going to call upon him if they hadn't believed in him? How are they going to believe in him if they don't ever hear about him? How are they going to hear about him if someone doesn't tell him? Tell them about him. And then Christ goes on to say, and then he must be sent. Well, that's the body of Christ. We're the vehicle that he uses to reach the lost. When Christ comes back, he's coming back. I'm just put it in my simple term. He's coming back for one group of people. And that's the believers. That's the church. The church has one responsibility, one great responsibility here. Israel failed with it. The church has that responsibility now. To spread the gospel. To spread the gospel as far and wide as we can spread it. And if that means as far and wide in your house, because most of our households need it, that's great. If it means as far and wide as your neighborhood, that's great. Our neighborhoods need it. If it means as far and wide and you have the opportunity and you're, uh, to go further and you go out into the city, that's great. If you have the opportunity to go, if you work at the base and you get sent off on these uh, trips and all, it gives you an opportunity. And, and there. If you ha get the opportunity to go on a mission trip, as we call it, 
uh, in the states or out of the states, you have a great opportunity to preach the gospel. And the Bible says how beautiful are the feet only because of the gospel or the message that we have to preach. And he said, of those who bring glad tidings of good things. And we could go on down, we won't, but he goes on down and he says, but they have not all obeyed. We can say that about us too, can't we? 